0: new episode of Black Future Doctor, a podcast dedicated to showcasing the experiences of black doctoral students in the UK. My name is Nina, I'm a psychology PhD student at the University of Bath and I'm your host. Today I have with me Lorna Hollywood, who is studying part-time for a PhD in nursing and social sciences at the University of Birmingham. Hi Lorna, thank you so much for being with me today. Hi Nina, thank you for having me. No worries. First, can you tell me a bit more about yourself and the subject of your PhD? Yes, of course. Yeah. So as
1: you said, I'm doing my PhD at the University of Birmingham, and it sits in the School of Nursing where I work. And I am a nurse by background. And it also straddles the School of Social Sciences. And the subject of my PhD is exploring the experiences of people. From the Windrush generation who live in UK care homes.
0: Mm-hmm. Brilliant, great. So I know you're also kind of in your first year or starting your second year of your PhD. Can you tell me a bit more about your journey towards pursuing a PhD? Like when did you first consider doing one?
1: Yes, I can. So I started to think about doing a PhD or started very early conversations with it about it about four years ago, Mm -hmm. academia is sort of my second career. And I'm probably a little older than some of the other people that you've spoken to. But um, as I said before, I'm a nurse. So I registered as a nurse back in 2005 and worked clinically and Mm -hmm. worked in areas like district nursing and specialist palliative care and started to do um, started to incorporate and get some qualifications in education and started to do teaching alongside mm-hmm. my clinical practice and at that stage I really wasn't didn't have a PhD in sight at all in fact from an early age I didn't have university in sight so I always feel like I've kind of got here a little bit accidentally just as time has gone by so I it was, it was when I changed jobs, moving into a full-time education post in specialist palliative care and was carrying on with my master's part-time. And then I went to work in my mm-hmm. first higher education institution in a university teaching nurses. And that's when people started to say, you need, if you're going to stay in this career, you need to complete your master's and start thinking about a PhD. So that's probably when the first, the first thoughts of it came to me. But like I said, my sort of path to academia wasn't a linear one at all. I'm a first generation university graduate in my family, as are my two brothers. Mm-hmm. University wasn't something that was talked about or even further education. And I left school with few qualifications and went into working and, and went back to night school to do qualifications. So it, it it wasn't a straight path. And then once I got my nursing qualification, I started to collect master's level modules which were related to my clinical practice I was halfway through the master's when somebody said have you thought about completing this as a qualification and decided to which was great and then I got a new job at the University of Birmingham and actually there was quite a lot of pressure in my department to do a PhD it's kind of expected in the role as a lecturer that you'll be pursuing a PhD so it was probably three years ago that I really started to think okay now's the time to actually put an idea together and consider whether or not I've got both the time and skills to to go for it.
0: Yeah and what I love about your story is that I think it's probably true of so many people but we don't really talk about it that a lot of people do PhDs but they haven't initially started out thinking about it and I really like that you've done you know loads of practical work beforehand and then you've come back to academia I think academia you don't have the doors shut on you if you leave even though it may feel like it you can always come back
1: yes and that's something that I feel we should tell young people more because now I've got children just entering the high school system secondary school system Mm -hmm. I'm very aware of that message that you have to achieve this at this point and then you have to achieve your GCSEs and then you must go on and do your A-levels. And as a young person from a family that wasn't educationally focused, those conversations at school really passed me by. I didn't feel part of them. I didn't think they were anything to do with me. And so academia was something I'd kind of written off in my teens. And it was through other means and through work means that I was able to access it and the doors were open and I think it's really important for young people to know that there's lots of different pathways into academia. Mm-hmm. It doesn't all fall on that first set of GCSE results and sometimes you need to find really what your passion is and what you're good at before you before you go into it. Yeah definitely.
0: So we've touched on it a little bit uh, yeah. but I'd really like to hear more about specific topic of your PhD like what made you interested in looking at that?
1: Okay so my PhD I'm really happy to say is an amalgamation of my personal and professional interests and when I started first putting a title together and thinking about what I wanted to look at I never thought I would be able to get to this place that was a huge achievement in itself getting to a place that had such professional passion behind it and a real personal interest. So, first of all, the population that I'm exploring are care home residents. And that's because I mentioned I went to work after school. I did a variety of jobs, but I did do some jobs in the social care sector. Started off working with people with learning disabilities and also did some work in care homes. And when I became a registered nurse, I worked closely with care homes because I had, I worked in a community hospital. So we had lots of complex discharges and lots of supporting older people to move into care homes. Mm -hmm. And then when I worked in district nursing, I had two care homes on my patch that I supported providing end of life care to their residents and also started to do a bit of education in those care homes and supporting the care home workers to deliver different aspects of end of life care. Um, So I'm really passionate about care homes and, Whilst working nationally and visiting different care homes, I've been able to see some fantastic culturally appropriate care for a wide range of people from different backgrounds. And then I've seen some examples that haven't been as good. And it's always fascinated me what the difference is. It's not something I can Mm -hmm. put my finger on. I can't attribute it to levels of education or training available to staff. So that is a question that has been simmering for probably the last decade that I've been involved in care homes, what, what makes good care for people from different backgrounds good. And then the focusing on the Windrush generation, and I'd be focusing specifically on people from black African and black Caribbean backgrounds. That's really my personal interest. So I am dual heritage. My mum is white British and my father is Mm -hmm. black Caribbean. He was born in Barbados and came to the UK as a child. Mm -hmm. But I was brought up primarily in a single parent family by my mum and had nothing to do with my black Caribbean side of my family. And also I was born in Birmingham, lovely, diverse, multicultural city where I work now, but moved out of Birmingham at a young age and lived in predominantly rural white British areas. So I felt, as a child and most of my adulthood, very separate from my Black Caribbean background. And this has provided an incredible opportunity for me to embrace and get to know and learn and support people from the same background as me and get to know it in a really safe way. Probably a way that I perhaps can't pursue personally.
0: Yeah. All right. So I know you're doing your PhD part-time and you're the first person I spoke to on the podcast who is doing that. Can you explain to me what that kind of looks like work-wise for you?
1: I started this PhD part-time pre-pandemic and I thought it was going to look a very very certain way where I would dedicate a proportion of my working week so I'm I'm in a really supportive team and as long as my work is done it's okay and well supported to take time to study which is great mm-hmm. and also you know just accepted that one of the decisions I had to make in doing the PhD would that be it would eat into my personal time as well. Now I've I've got lots of experience of this because after doing a full-time degree and qualifying as a nurse all of my study has been in my own time and part-time every course I think apart from my mm-hmm. district nurse specialist practitioner course which was part of a working secondment everything else has been in my own time so that's something I'm used to I feel like I've got the skills to manage that in you know in a slightly haphazard way at times having a a young family as well but when the pandemic hit and and that changed things considerably so obviously all of our working patterns changed I started working from home Mm -hmm. initially I was working from home and trying to provide some sort of home education
0: of course yeah Uh,
1: I didn't have an office at home so I was doing all of this in the corner of a living room and I did really consider taking a leave of absence from my PhD. It felt like one thing too much to think about, mm-hmm. but I've got a really supported supervisory team who kept, have kept me going. They, they kept goals small and manageable and sort of kept gently nudging me forward. So I have been able to carry on with that. I have to be really clear with time management mm-hmm. and I sometimes have to sacrifice work opportunities and I sometimes have to sacrifice progress with my PhD for work opportunities. So it's a constant juggle. But luckily, I do love studying. You know, I hope it's come across that I'm just incredibly passionate about the topic, which re- which really helps. It means that I'm happy to go to bed yeah. with textbook or, you know happy to carry papers around with me to read in in moments where I can and things like that so I have sat on the side Mm -hmm. of the swimming pool and the side of football pitches typing up bits and uh, reading papers and filling in data abstraction charts and things like that so I wish it was tidier I wish it was like my plan which is you know this is my work time. This is my PhD time. And in the PhD time, I can immerse myself. But it's it's much messier than that. And I have to be quite flexible mm. to manage that and cope with it, which I think I do. But this year has been I just have to keep thinking nothing will be like the past year. It, surely it'll only get easier from now on. And that's what I hope. But I think you have to just be really careful with your diary and talk to colleagues about what you're doing, because generally they are really supportive. You know, if you say, oh, I was hoping to get this done, and but I've got caught up in this thing at work and this thing at work. But if you talk, if you if you hide it and struggle on your own, you're on your own. But if you share it, it's amazing how often people come forward and, and to offer support and space and even just time to say, ah, it's all too much at the moment. I can't I can't do it. So I'd love a bit more time to devote to it. I think I could progress much quicker, but and I'm I'm quite self-critical. So I often think, oh, I wanted to achieve this by this point and I haven't.
0: Yeah, I feel like all PhD students are self-critical. I feel like we've all got that in common, which is kind of awful (laughs) and not very good for our own mental well-being. But I think, yeah, I, I certainly feel the same
1: it's that constant pressure isn't it to demonstrate progress and if you Mm. can't see that sometimes progress is something to reflect on further down the line but when you're checking in with your supervisors regularly and you've set these goals and you want to give an update you're constantly reviewing that progress and so I, I start a lot of supervisions by say you know focusing on what I haven't done and I have got a great team that say yeah but you've done x y and z that's really good uh, and this is what it looks like in the context of the whole project.
0: Exactly. I feel, I don't know, a lot of PhD students I've spoken to do say quite similar things. And so I wonder maybe it's about uh, maybe the kind of people that go into PhDs. Uh, we have this yes. kind of perfectionist yeah. tendency, I suppose.
1: But isn't there that mystery with PhDs, which I'm I'm just over a year in really, but um, I'm now thinking, oh, I'm here to learn how to be a researcher but when i stepped onto it i i thought i needed a lot of that stuff already so i was trying to walk the walk before i could talk the talk i whereas now i'm much more comfortable in saying oh right i know i don't know anything about that what is that process or what is that thing but i felt like to get onto the program i had to I had to know more than I, I did, whereas I'm starting to realise that it is a real developmental process. It's not, you know, you're not meant to know all of this stuff at the start. You're on the programme to learn it.
0: Exactly. And I think that's really important to get across. You know, you don't have to be the finished product at the start of your PhD. It is a learning process. We've just got to get used to feeling like we know nothing. But by the end of it, I guess we have this understanding of what we don't know and what we do know. And yes,
1: yeah, we develop yeah. And that's that's been a big part of my transition into higher education. That kind of describes that anyway, because Mm -hmm. one of the challenges of having a career, a different career to higher education before, I was an expert in clinical practice. I was a team leader. I managed people. Mm -hmm. I was the people people came to, to offer advice and consultations. I was the expert in patient care in my field. So I was kind of at the top of my game, you know, feeling work wise, strong and good and great. And then I went into H E mm. and it's like being the new girl at primary school again. I don't know anything. And actually the PhD <laughs> is really similar to that. It's like, oh I have joined this amazing group of people who, especially when you talk to PhD students who are further along in their journey and they just seem like these absolute geniuses who totally know what oh, they're definitely. doing and talking about. <laughs> you just think, oh I know I've there's so far to go. I don't know anything. There's so there's so far to go.
0: Yeah when will that be me?
1: Yes yes if ever.
0: So as you were doing your PhD part-time can you think of some of the benefits and the challenges of doing that? So I know we spoke about challenges with time management especially in Covid but what are some of the other benefits and other things?
1: So there are some real benefits of doing it part-time. One of them is that as I'm as I'm learning, the better I'm teaching. So I find that I incorporate things into my teaching that I that I learned yesterday or last week or on a module that I did. And I can incorporate that mm-hmm. into han- enhancing what I do in my day job, which is brilliant because it makes me feel like I'm growing quickly in my job. And because I've had that transitional period of going from clinical expert to baby academic, it's really helping mm-hmm. in that. Being in um, an environment you know in a a good university a russell group university is often daunting Uh, well any university Mm -hmm. i would imagine is daunting people have imposter syndrome and feel like they shouldn't be there but doing something which is helping you grow quickly really helps with that building confidence um, and helps allay some of those imposter syndrome feelings so that's really good And that it's also making me network beyond the School of Nursing. So it's a big university. Mm. And before doing the PhD, I only knew other people in my department on who who live on a a tiny corridor. Whereas I've been involved in things, just go, you know, belonging to postgraduate groups in the School of Social Sciences and in the School of Nursing. I've met people from different backgrounds, I've been able to network, open up opportunities. So it's and it's and it's provided a really fun element to my job because it's provided me with opportunities that I can do within my work life. It's not necessarily an extra thing, but they're definitely opportunities that I wouldn't have come across if I was just doing my my work job. So I've met people who have come in and talked to my students and really brought some, you know, their piece of expertise or their knowledge or their area of interest into my module. And then the students have had access to those people and that 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 pocket of expertise and that different person to talk to them and, and and facilitate their learning. I've got to do you know things. I've had the confidence to do different things because I, I know more people. So you know an example is uh, I wanted to do a, a webinar looking at um, vaccine hesitancy for COVID because some of my students were saying to me they were nervous about having the vaccine and couldn't explain why they'd heard myths and rumours about it and it really bothered me Mm. and these 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 concerns were definitely coming from students from black backgrounds asian backgrounds minority ethnic backgrounds and i wanted to do something for them i was like we you know we're we're in a, a great medical school here with lots of research going on around covid we need to bring that to the students but because i knew a couple of people i was able to pull together an amazing panel to do this webinar for the whole of the medical school and that's something I would never Brilliant. have done without doing the PhD you know it, it was contacts that I've made since networking so doing it alongside work is it's really hard really really hard um, and I, I've seen lots of colleagues really struggle with it and some have gone on and succeeded and some have not been able to or have had to pause their studies Mm -hmm. but I think if you can if you can if you can try and do it it's a really good it's a really good thing and I can see a different future ahead of me because of this whereas I'm not I I, I always say I'm an accidental academic I didn't have a clear I wanted to be a nurse and then I did that and I was Mm -hmm. and I was quite happy with that it you know and then my path just took different directions whereas now actually I feel you know I've got aspirate, huge, high aspirations and things that I would like to go for, which I wasn't considering 18 months ago or even thinking about.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so encouraging to hear. And I think from everything you've told me, you're doing an absolutely amazing job. You're smashing it. So yeah.
1: <laughs> thank you, Nina. Yeah, that's really, that's really, really <laughs> kind.
0: So I've asked you loads of questions, but just one last one. You've given amazing advice so far, but I always end all my podcasts with uh, what is one piece of advice you would give to other black people considering pursuing a PhD? Please go for it.
1: You can probably do it is my advice because I halted and stuttered and considered and doubted. And I still doubt all the time,
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: i'm in it i'm in it i'm on the program and i'm actually producing you know not as quickly as i you know i'd love to be whizzing through this and stacking up papers and stacking up words for that illustrious thesis but i'm 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 collecting it at my own pace i'm building it and i'm doing it and i think you can do it as well mm-hmm. and you can't be what well, you can't say like dr ronks my favorite uh, <laughs> my favorite doctor um, <laughs> You, you know you be a role model for those coming up behind you because it's it's needed I, I didn't see I haven't seen many black PhD students until I was in mm-hmm. it and now I'm starting to network and seek people out and seek other role models and it's part of a really really cool club and, and we you know do it
0: yeah
1: come and join us come, yes absolutely jo- join the club absolutely
0: all right thank you so much Lorna for joining me today and chatting with me it has been wonderful to have you
1: thank you so much for having me Nina thank you so much for doing this podcast because this this will be providing that you can be what you can see for so many others I'll certainly be sharing it I can't wait to hear the other podcasts and maybe even connect with some of the other PhD students so just thank you this is a brilliant piece of work
0: I had a great time talking with Lorna for this episode, and I'm really keen to hear what you listeners think at home. It's becoming more common to do a PhD part-time, but it's often not spoken about, so I really hope this episode provides some insight for Black and non-Black PhD students alike. As always, you can tag any comments on social media using the hashtag BlackFutureDoctor, and please feel free to leave a review if you've been enjoying this podcast. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode.